folks, and welcome to Hey Adora, your queer sheer podcast. I'm Force Captain Meth, they them. And I am Princess Jenny, she, her. And today we are discussing season four, episode seven, Mer Mysteries. Mer Mysteries was written by M. Willis, directed by Jen Bennett, with storyboards by Jasmine Goggins, the regent of Catradora, Mickey Quinn, Sharon Sun, and Jessica Zamet. Mystery! Murder mystery! Murder mystery! Well, not really murder. Not Not murder most foul. Not yet! A spy is amongst us. There could still be murder. There you could don't still know. There could still be murder most foul. Yes. But for firsts, it was a dark and stormy night. Indeed. And I just want to do a nugget here because I was like where does that actually come from? Because a lot of, you know, it kind of lives in the ether. The dark and stormy night trope? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like who at first started that? Because I remember it kind of is in the ether and it was kind of brought can into that more. Can be brought back to one origin point? It can. It actually was started by one dude. Tell us. This is a little mini Professor Smartbrain nugget about it was a dark and stormy night. Which so... I am so shocked that that can be traced back to a single origin point. I know. I it's thought so it real. was like once upon a time. Right, exactly. It, you know, it, it super lives in the ether. You know, like when I was a kid, I remember reading it in Snoopy comics because Snoopy was an aspiring novelist or Peanuts comics, technically the name. Right. And right. Snoopy was an, you know, aspiring novelist and would always write it. But, you know, as we all know, you know, comics, comics usually references to something else. It's not an origin ex- point. Yeah, right. It's not an origin point. So this was by the English novelist, playwright and politician. Oh, this is going to be a great name. Sir Edward George, Earl Bulwer Lytton. And he used the line to open his 1830 book, Paul Clifford. And hold on to your britches, folks, because this is a heck of a sentence. So the full intro reads. It was dark and stormy night. The rain fell in torrents, except at occasional intervals when it was checked by a violent gust of wind, which swept up the streets, for it is in London that our scene lies, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating the scantly flames of the lamps that struggled against the darkness. Was that all really one sentence? That's all really one sentence, Jenny. God damn! I know, I know. That is some gothic novel-ass sentence. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, Indeed. If you are interested in what a gothic novel is, I'm not going to get into that because that's a whole heck of another tangent. You can look up gothic novel, the definition of a gothic novel, and find some gothic novels at your local library. Visit your libraries. Libraries are awesome. Yes, libraries are the shit. Give your local librarian a thrill. Go there. Yes. Go there. Find some juicy knowledge. Yes. Knowledge of novels. Yes. Wow. Well, it's also a dark and stormy night in Bright Moon. It sure was. And you know that because our opening shot is an exterior shot of Bright Moon at night. There's a storm. <laughs> Not only a storm, lightning strikes behind the moonstone. Does that set the mood or what? That definitely sets the mood. It sets the mood. Nope. Oh, no. Yeah, no, um, it didn't work. Yeah, and then after that one establishing shot, the camera like enters through the front doors which says to me, come with me, if you will, on a journey. 
Like, <laughs> if it was a narrator, that's yes. what the narrator would be saying. It's very beckoning, right? Like, yes, answer. yes. And inside the room that the camera brings us into, we see all our buddies just sitting silently around the war room, looking tense and dismayed. So we've got Adora, Bo, and Glimmer, our super pal, no, not the super pal trio, our best friend squad, sorry. Best. Um, and all the princesses, Frostum or Mr. Perfuma, um, and Seahawk, and of course, Flutterina, who instantly became a core member of the group. Immediately. Right, immediately. That's everyone who's there in the war room, looking very tense. And Glimmer has her back to the group, staring into the fire. It's so mm -hmm. dramatic. It's so dramatic. Um, and no you big deal. There's just a roaring fire in the fireplace. Yeah, which we've never because seen drama. before. Yes, but it's yeah. necessary to build the drama. Mm -hmm. And Seahawk is lying prone across the couch like it's a fainting couch with his hand across his forehead <laughs> I, in the I classic love. fainting lady pose. I, I, I... <laughs> I identify <laughs> with Seahawk so much sometimes. I just love, I love Seahawk so fucking much. I do too. What a drama queen. You know? Yeah. And so, but nobody's saying anything. This is how they're all just like in repose. Mm -hmm. And yep. my last note before anyone says anything is in all caps. Tension, tension, so much tension, musical score of tension. As we pan around our various characters, suspects, and back to Glimmer, who turns back dramatically from the fire to say. <laughs> Meph, do you want to say what Glimmer says? I do. And this is a nice little like segue into it's really sets the tone into what kind of um, episode this is going to be. Yeah. And Glimmer says to you, I called you all here to discuss what happens today. Yes. And right there, you know that this is going to be um, a, a pastiche of a uh, yes. really what particular. Well, it also is exposition, but this line is very particularly used in a in um, a type of genre, which we are going to talk about very soon. Teaser, but this opener is used. It's it's like the opener that is used in the type of the genre that we are going to talk about, and I'm really excited about it. Like, oh, it's so on, oh, it's so on brand. And and what what type is that? Oh, we'll get there when we get to our Professor okay, so Smart finish, Brain moment. Finish saying yes. what Glimmer says. I called you all here to discuss what happened today. The mission to retake Drill was a complete disaster. We barely made it out. I want to know why. Yeah. So that's and, that's yeah. what we're going to be discussing today. Yep. And so we're like, okay. So and then th this sets our this sets our like plot. So this sets our plot forward. Yes. We now Bo lets us know that. You know, the Horde knew we were coming and they keep knowing that yes. we're coming. And they're and definitively it cannot be Adora that they're tracking because she was not there. Right. We're and finally this moving past this weird assumption that they've been making for a bunch of episodes. Right. It's not and that. That was a it's red It's not herring. that. And so Mermista has been cooking up her own scheme the whole time. Oh, my goodness. Enter the star of this episode, Mermista slams her hands down on the table dramatically again and says, isn't it obvious? There's a horde spy in Bright Moon. Major <laughs> thunder and lightning strike. And then we pan around to each person's shocked face in reaction <gasps> to this declaration. 
And then we pan back to Vermista, who is just grinning like this is the best day of her life. I know. As she pronounces that no one is going anywhere until they find the spy. And Seahawk looks ready to faint again behind her. <laughs> with another perfectly timed. Fuck. Uh, they're both ridiculous drama queens. That's why. Yes. Yes. And like the space that they both occupy it's like perfectly complimentary, you know, like they're not trying to occupy the same type of drama queen space. Yeah. It's, it works in this perfect. It's like they're both the yin to each other's yang. Yeah. It's they're just, both. Yeah. Yes. They're both extra in their own special. Yes. She's like goth extra. Because goth extra is its own thing. Like I don't know spooky if I would agree extra. That is goth. In a no, she's not forward way. No, but it, she's like the spooky extra of it. I yeah. don't know if I would call her Mr. Spooky. She's no. super into this gothic murder mystery thing. This is definitely her special interest. Yeah. But, you know, she enjoys saving people and being a hero. You know, sure. whatever. It's, it's definitely part of her of her thing. But so she gets to make this dramatic pronouncement. There's a spy in Bright Moon. No one's <gasps> going anywhere until we find <gasps> out who... Spy amongst us. Credits. Credits. So it is this great opening, opening yeah. scene, and it's nice and with short. A very too. strong close to that scene. Yeah, yeah. Great opening so we know scene. We're gonna have a great time with this episode. Yeah, this episode's a great time. Great opening scene sets everything up just spot on. Exactly yes. what we're doing. Exactly what genre we are. We are pastichying, which is a word I just made up. I love it. Thank you. I approve that word. Thank you. And then we jump to our credits and then we credits again. We credit some more. And then I ask the question, as I often do, are we going to win in the end? end? I think if we listen to Mermista, that our odds of winning in the end are good. I think so, too. Keeps being a know it all and not listening to anyone else. Then we might not win in the end. Yeah. I've been defending Glimmer really hard every episode so far. But this episode Glimmer's points are kind of going down in my book. Yeah, I mean, Glimmer's going through it a little bit. She's going but... through it. And, you know, we've all been there. We, you know, sure, we can't all sure. be our best selves every minute of every day of our lives. Sure, but just because we're going so through it doesn't mean we're right. Glimmer, listen to your friends. Yeah, keep a, keep an open eye and an open ear and an open heart. Yes, because definitely Mermista has this corner covered. Yeah. She has studied up. This is her moment. Let her this do This is her, her moment. Thing. Let her do her thing. Yes. So we, we come back to the same room. Yes. The same moment. The same moment. We jump right back and we have more. Well, even before the babooms, we have Glimmer reacting to what Mamrista has just said in a <gasps> rather patronizing way. Yeah. She thinks it's very unlikely that there is a spy. Glimmer, listen to your friends. Yeah. Um, and I think that it is not that unlikely based on all the evidence. I I don't think that it's something yeah. that she should wave off so casually. I don't either. I mean, if somebody knows where you're, you know, somebody Every can... move you're making over a long period right. of time, it's not like you have no new people around you. 
Yeah, exactly. Bunch of new people around you. <laughs> right, right. Maybe one of them is somewhat disingenuous. Yeah, it, is that totally impossible. I, you know, somebody just uh, shows up and all of a sudden stuff stuff starts going wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's a plausible possibility. Plausible. Um, so, but it's like Marista doesn't even hear her because she is so so deep in her special interest. She's like vibrating. Yeah, she is. And it's With great. That special interest joy. And we just fucking love to see it. We love it. We love to see Mermista win. Yes, we do. And it's so fun to see what she's like when she's not pretending not to care about anything. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I actually have this as my first gayest moment. Mermista diving Aww. headfirst into her special interest and not giving a fuck. I she's love just like that. owning her queer joy. I, I feel like this that. is Mermista's queer joy. This is Mermista's queer you know, joy. She's like pacing around the room because she's just so excited. She's like ticking off points on her fingers. We need to investigate. Obviously, I'll be the lead detective because I've read every single mystery book. I know. And I Laura love it. says, Mer what? Because no one else even knows what she's talking about. And then the, the transcript colors, you know, how Mermista responds as angrily enthusiastic, which <laughs> I think is a great turn of phrase. I, how overwrought she is. And also, like, I relate to that. I've yeah, spent many, get, many of my years being angrily absolutely. enthusiastic about things. Absolutely. Yeah. Mermista responds that she says, Mermistery. It's Jeez. only the best underseen novel series ever. There's like 18 of them. It taught me everything I need to know about solving mysteries. Murder mysteries. Oh. And then Seahawk falls over and gasps. <laughs> and then we have our second most invested person in this episode, Perfuma, who becomes like Mermista's student because she also thinks this is cool. Yes, she uh, does. Perfuma politely points out that no one's been murdered. Mm-hmm. Mermista's not put off by this. She says, yet. Which, sure. Sure. And they need to question the suspects. Who are the <laughs> suspects, you ask? <gasps> Everyone the suspect. And this is where I have my pretty intensive Professor Smart Brain moment on the closed circle mystery and the queen of mysteries, Agatha Christie. Yes, tell us. All right, so we're going to talk about Agatha Christie because she pretty much invented this type of mystery. She took a lot of the elements from previous mysteries and kind of synthesized them into this. And anything that you think of when you think of this kind of like everybody is in a room and everybody is a suspect comes from Mm -hmm. Agatha Christie. Great. So I've never heard the term closed circle mystery. Yeah, yeah. I've heard the term everyone is a suspect. Yes. Mostly from the movie Clue. Yes, which, <laughs> which is absolutely, which, yes, absolutely is a closed circle mystery. It is one of the examples that I use. Great. Um, so, but first we're going to just give a little bit of brief thing about Agatha Christie. So Agatha Christie, who was born September 15th, 1890 and died January 12th, 1976, was an English novelist, short story writer and playwright who revolutionized the mystery genre. And she pretty much created like all of these tropes that we know today. So she ushered in the golden age of detective fiction, which was around like that's like between like maybe like 1917 to like the early 40s, kind of before like the darker kind of stuff came in. Mm. Um, 
this kind of stuff, the clothes circle, the English manner, you know, this type of stuff. Um, and created two of the most recognizable fictional detectives of all time, uh, Hercule Poirot, the dude with the awesome mustache, mm-hmm. and Miss Marple. I have heard of Miss Marple. Miss Marple's great. Uh, and she is both the best selling author of all time, with her novels having sold two really? bi- Yes. Wow. She has sold two billion copies of her novels combined globally. That is fucking lit. And she is the most translated author of all time. Wow. And in fact, her novel, And Then There Were None, which we're going to put a pin in that for a second, is the top selling book of all time with approximately 100 copies, 100 million copies sold. So a really a big note on that book before we continue. I can't believe I've never read anything by the best selling author of all time. Yeah, I know. I know. All right, go on. So this book's original UK title is really fucking racist, having been based on a popular minstrel song at the time. I'm not even going to say it because okay. it is that fucking bad. Okay. Yeah, don't tell us. Um, it contains, and a lot of her earlier work, a lot of her work indeed, contains some pretty racist, xenophobic, and anti-Semitic shit. Mm. Um, but there have been conversations since, the, like, the 1940s mm-hmm. with her and active steps to remedy a lot of this stuff well, included in her work since then. That's good. Including that's good. changes made to the text while she was alive up through the present day. So she was willing um, to be in conversation around necessary changes. There, well... There's some conversation about how willing she was, but a lot of the stuff was changed when it came over to be published in the United States. Um, And there's uh, plenty of racist literature out there that has never been changed. Yeah. And I mean, like there's (sighs) the title of this book was known as it's it's had about three or four different titles um, over the years. Um, The UK title has changed a couple of times. It was like, racist and then not racist and then racist again and then the american title was like and then there were none and then more as racist but not as bad as the uk title but that's also like and then more racist and then like so like it's social progress is never a straight line it's never a straight line Mm -hmm. um so and what i'm saying not as bad i it's still like you know yeah I'm not one to make a judgment of what is bad and what is not, but there, I mean, you could not print the name of the UK title in the United States, in the United States, but you definitely could print the name of the US title globally. That's, that's how bad the UK title is. We should know these things, you know? So just to give you the heads up, she definitely wrote some fucked up shit being, you know, an upper upper class white woman writing from that point of view uh at from the turn of the century right but you know that is where she was coming from she's also you know very popular and so this is the context that we're working with right um and she did write some bangers uh so her other famous works of hers you may have heard of the uh murder of the or on the orient express definitely heard of that uh death on the nile Dead Man's Folly, Murder at the Vicarage, uh, Three Blind Mice and Other Stories. Uh, Her works have been adapted for stage, TV, film, video games, board games, and all of these other things. And her characters, uh, particularly Poirot and Miss Marple, have been inspirations for modern, many modern adaptions. 
Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but like the early 2000s, they did kind of like a gritty reboot of Miss Marple. Um, no, I didn't see it. It was for ITV and like uh, in the UK. It was kind of like what they did with Sherlock, only did it with Miss Marple. And she was like this like badass detective. That's cool. It was cool. It was like, yeah, it was cool. She solved murder mysteries that were like kind of gritty. I watched some of it. It was pretty yeah, cool. I've never been that big of a murder mystery fan unless there was some kind of sci-fi or supernatural component. Yeah. My mom was a big murder mystery fan. Um, yeah. It was never really my thing unless there was some some element, some something some, more, something more. Yeah. I was something. a big fan of the Christopher Pike novels. I don't know if you remember those from the 90s. <laughs> I totally remember those from the 90s. Those were my jam. I definitely like remember ages, those. Like 10 to 14. I was super into those. But they were also very like they had supernatural elements. They're still very exploity and very much like yeah, titillating. Yeah. Yeah, and they're, they're like titillating and they they were like a little bit supernatural, but they weren't like super duper supernatural. They were like yeah. speculative fiction. Like I remember yeah. there was one where there was a teenage girl, and this is also kind of racist. Um, there's a teenage girl who she sort of her life is great, but something seems a little bit off and she had weird dreams and I don't remember it super well, but basically she realized she could astral project. And then while she was astral projecting her long lost twin that she didn't know about because she was adopted, astral projected into her body and turned out to be evil. And the reason all this was possible was because she was Native American and she didn't realize it because she was adopted. And she's like, oh, that's why you have special powers. You have yeah, special pretty. Native powers. So that's racist. Yeah, it's uh, fucked but up. the idea that like you have a secret twin that you didn't know about who astral projects into your body and takes over your life. That was yeah, like a little, up. you know, a little bit speculative fiction. It's not just a regular who done it. Yeah, no, it's fucked up. Yeah. So, mm, you know, yeah. But I was like 11 when I read it. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, I was like 10 or 11 when I read Christopher Pike yeah, books too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I barely remember any of them other than like one time somebody had sex in them and I was like, ooh, sex. And then they got <laughs> murdered. And then I was like, Murder and sex. Ooh. Yeah, the sex stuff was not titillating to me because my parents always let me watch and read whatever the fuck I wanted. So, like, that shit was old news. But, you know. Wow. But that's um, not necessarily normal. <laughs> nor does it have... Yeah. So anyway, but anyway. you know the 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 Poirot and the Miss Marple stuff yeah, yeah, is not. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not it's a lot more mainstream. Yeah, yeah. It's also not like it's it's doesn't come from it's it's considered cozy, right? It's very much focused on like like yes, it's murder, but it's it's but not grisly. It's not grisly. It's not. Yes, it's yes, very it's not you know. They don't probably show gratuitous violence or describe. I should say describe because no, they're books. It's not about the violence. It's about the clues. It's yes, about the solving yes, the mystery it's about and the solving clues. The mystery. So, also fun fact about Miss Marple: it was a direct influence on the classic '80s television show that I know that you have watched, Murder She Wrote. And the title is even a reference to a film adaptation of one of her Miss Marple mysteries, Murder She Said. So it is like literally like, let's take Miss Marple and put her in a small town in Maine because Miss Marple books were all like Miss Marple solving mysteries in a small town in England. Mm. And so that's like Jessica Fletcher was like Miss Marple only in Maine. I have never seen Murder, She Wrote. Um, oh, Murder, She Wrote is great. It's it's just awesome old people. But I've heard of it. Yes. It's yes. just awesome old people. I think I knew um, it was connected somehow to Agatha Christie. Yeah. So 
just like Burmista's Mer Mystery series, uh, uh, just she was so prolific, Agatha Christie. Yes. And the Poirot books and the Miss Marple books were series. She just wrote those yes. characters, yes. tons and tons and tons of them. So, like, it's not just like one Poirot book. It's like, I, it's like that 17,000. I'm exaggerating. I don't have the exact number. So, it's just like, you know, how there's 18 more mystery books. There's like, 17, you know, thousand Poirot books and 16,000 Miss Marple books. And then there's other detectives and then there's other stories. So like she just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you have a character that is beloved, it's great to be able to put them in the universe and just continue to create content for them. And she made two. And then she made other detectives. And then she made other stories that just had one off detectives because she's Agatha Christie. And that's what she loved to do. Yeah, no doubt. So we got all of our kind of you know, facty fun stuff out there about kind of the person that created, you know, what we're doing, right? Like this, this episode. So now we're going to kind of, we're going to talk about the genre and then kind of the subgenre that this also kind of clicks into called the closed circle mystery. Yes. So for this episode's purposes, we're going to be talking about the murder trope she pioneered and just really mastered. And it's called the closed circle mystery. And the subgenre about this is the country house mystery. Aha. Mm. Uh-huh fun right so here's like the direct wikipedia like mm-hmm. i cut and i cut it and pasted it this sure, is sure. um the closed circle mystery uh it refers to a situation in which a given crime which is usually murder though here us um hunting it like shaking out a yes, spy also else. works also works really well um that there is a quickly established limited number of suspects as we have here each with credible means motive and opportunity Mm-hmm. In other words, it is known that the criminal is one of the people present or present or nearby at the scene, and the crime could not have been committed by some outsider, like we have here. The detective has to solve the crime, figure out the criminal from this pool of suspects, rather than searching for an entirely unknown perpetrator. Ah, all right, all right. So this, this is sounding is- familiar. Yes. So this isolation and paranoia, which. Uh, amongst the characters helps drive the dramatic tension of this since everyone is a suspect. Indeed. Right? So, and, you know, in order to kind of drive that dramatic tension, a common setting for this, uh, especially during the golden age of detective fiction, is an English country house. Here we have a castle. Right. Because um, everyone is isolated from the outside world, stuck together in a group. Exactly. And the English country house also plays on the, you know, this is a small, where places of small groups of people often strangers were placed in social situations that were completely isolated from the outside world. You go to like party in an English country house of people of society. You may not know you're mingling. Somebody dies like clue. Right. Um, Other isolated settings were used as well, like trains, murder on the Orient Express, ships, islands, etc. Right. You can't leave a train. Can't leave a train. Oh, This is getting shady. I'm just going to leave. Can't do it. Right. So modern examples of this are the Knives Out films. Yes. Um, if anyone has seen them, you know this. If you haven't, they're friggin' phenomenal and I love them. Both Knives Out and Glass Onion. Glass Onion. Are, Glass Onion's great. Knives Out takes place in a Massachusetts country house or a manor about a family. Bunch and of assholes. Bunch of assholes. It's a great, great movie. Highly recommend it. Uh, and Glass Onion takes place on an island. Um, and the game, movie, musical, and ultra all around cultural phenomenon known as Clue or Cluedo as it is in the UK and in other places. Cluedo. 
Yeah, it's known as it was originally made in the UK. But that's uh, not a called, word, is it? Uh, it is called Cluedo. And I would recommend looking up the name of why it is called Cluedo and Wikipedia because it's a long story. Okay, and it was I will do and that it was, another time. And it was changed to Clue because people in the United States would say, hey, that's not a word because there's no cultural context for why it is called uh-huh. Cluedo in the United States. Fun fact, it was brought to the United States by the Parker Brothers, who were based in Beverly, Massachusetts. Yeah, kid. Well, I will look that up in my own time. I will tell you a fun fact about the movie Clue. Um, I love that. When I was in high school, we had, you know, like a theater program that was part of our academic structure, but we also had a drama club. So Mm -hmm. the theater program would put on like official school plays, but the drama club also did stuff on the side that was totally unsupervised. So when I was in 10th grade, the drama club decided to put on Clue. And so this is 1995. The internet exists, but there isn't necessarily a lot on it. So when they decided they were going to put on Clue as a play, they got one dude in the drama club to sit down with a bunch of Jolt Cola and transcribe the script by watching the movie just like over and over and rewinding and just writing it all down. And it really fried his brain. This is a time when the internet did not really exist, but Jolt Cola still existed. Yeah, I mean, the internet existed. It's just that there was limited content. No, I mean, like, you know, like we I don't think it, Jolt... There just wasn't that much you could do with it. Like, you could go in a chat room and be like, hi, I'm here, yeah, let's it... talk. But, you know, yeah, there I wasn't mean, Wikipedia. I... There wasn't, like, oh, I'm going to look up a transcript online. Like, that shit was not right. there. Anyway, yeah. it, we, we put on Clue. It was hilarious. That's a great movie. Yeah. Super fun. Yes. Also very fun as a play. Also, you know, the the deal with the movie um, as it's released on video, if people have seen the film uh, either on TV or recorded um, at the end of the movie, they say, this is how it could have happened. Here's how it ended. But yes. here's how it and could have happened. All possible alternate endings. And they show you all possible endings. The way that it was in the theater was that they showed different endings. Oh. <gasps> And that's why. Oh. Yeah. So, so they had. Everyone would see different endings. People would see different endings. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Theater. The theatrical release was well before our time. Yes. And it bombed in the theater. It was. Wow. It was only until it was kind of like. Because it used to be showed over and over again on like broadcast TV. As like one of those A like. Lot hey. Of things that became cult classic films didn't necessarily do well in the box office. Yeah. 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 Things aren't always appreciated in their own time. Um, they aren't. They aren't. But Clue is fantastic and it's really fun if you want to watch a really fun campy movie from yes. the 80s. It yes. has a great cast. Um, yes. Iconic comedians of the time. Iconic comedians. Tim uh, Curry. Tim Curry. Madeline, Madeline Kahn. Kahn. Uh, Ma- Michael McKeon is, an, is fantastic in that yeah. film. All around great movie. Yes. Um, anyway. Anyway, wrapping it up, that was my Professor Smart Brain moment on the on Agatha Christie, the closed circle mystery and the country house mystery and all sorts of fun stuff about mysteries. That was fucking baller. I just learned so much. Thank, Thank you, you, Professor Smart Brain. You're welcome. And I'm going to dabble in a couple of little Smart Brain yeah, nuggets yeah. throughout the episode because they fuck really yeah. do play with so many different types of things that you can pull from different genres of mystery yeah, throughout yeah, and this I, and i knew enough to know episode. that that was the case and yeah. i just like i'm not well versed in these genres but i knew mm-hmm. that you would not let me down no i i, I knew it 
I might not be great at science, but I know a lot about <laughs> film and television stuff. and narrative. Yeah. So, All right, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to pull us back into this scene to reground us in the current moment. So, you know, Perfuma just said no one's been murdered. Mermista was like, yet. Haha. And then Bo starts to freak out, which he will continue to do the whole episode. He starts to freak out over the idea that everyone's a suspect because now he suspects himself. Like in a Manchurian candidate kind of way. Yes, like he's yes. Worried I ha- that he's been brainwashed without his knowledge. Yes, yes. Uh, Jenny, do you want to give a tiny bit about Manchurian candidate? Because yes. I do bring it up. Yes. Do you have anything about that? I do. I have a tiny little nugget on the Manchurian candidate. Okay, so, so. you can give. I didn't prepare anything. It was a novel yeah. and it became a movie and then it became another movie. Basically, it's about an American prisoner of war who's brainwashed to become a Russian operative, right? Some kind of. He yeah. doesn't even know that he's a spy. Yeah, he's a spy and an assassin. That's and he's not it. aware. That's pretty much what I have. He's yeah. a spy and an assassin. And he's unaware of his actions. Right, right. And it, so, it's not yeah. real. It's not based on anything real. Nope. The technology does not exist. <laughs> yes. The techno that does that cannot happen. However, it it uh it's it a is, little sci-fi. It's a little sci-fi. You know, it's referenced a lot in yes. um popular. So Bo culture. spends the whole episode freaking out that he's the spy which is a fun thing that we keep coming back to. I love Glimmer that. keeps hitting the one note that she hits. Well, it's not her one note, um, but it's the one note that she hits in terms of coming back to the big conversation that she thinks this is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not taking it seriously, and she thinks they should be focusing on the Horde's next big plans. She's not wrong that the Horde yeah. has big plans, but this is not a waste of time. They need to find the spy. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, the, it's a... Uh, they're kind of... I mean, the Horde put them in this situation right Right, like right right the horde is trying to keep them distracted in this way right Um, yeah and adora agrees with mermista Mm -hmm. um now that they know that it can't be adora that the horde is tracking since once again he used me as a distraction today adora is salty and she has a right to be um so spy is really the only thing that makes sense yeah that's not okay um and glimmer is also salty um, and she says that maybe the whore didn't fall for it because the door is a bad actress. Dude. Again. Also, like, yeah, that's just like, OK, that's salty. But yeah, uh, like, was that really necessary? And Glimmer can't even fathom who the spy could be like, gee, I don't know. Maybe it could be Shadow Weaver. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't not make sense. Yeah. Like, there's definitely some possibilities. So, you know, we see Adora and Glimmer having some bad feelings, getting into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the Horde officer who's been living with them in a vaguely prisonerial way and has actual shadow spies who they have all seen with their own eyeballs. This does not, you know, this logically makes sense. Yeah, it's not unreasonable. But, you know, Mermista does point out that it's never the obvious one. Yes, like, and she does it in the most dramatic way possible. She's always striking the most dramatic pose, her back to the room. So her good. arm up against the window. It's so good. She says, it does seem like Shadow Weaver is the most obvious suspect, which means it definitely isn't her. I know. I love it. And uh, she mentions uh, it's never the obvious one, like in Mer Mystery, the Pearl who knew too much. Um, and that's a funny nod to The Man Who Knew Too Much, which is uh, two separate spy thrillers. They have the same name, but that's it. Directed by Alfred Hitchcock. One was directed in 1934, the other in 1956. 
Um, they're totally different movies. Um, but I, I yes. don't know those particular movies, but I do know Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, yeah. My mom they're... was also a big Hitchcock fan, and we did watch a lot of his movies when I was little. Yeah, they are two separate movies that he did that are vaguely... There's a fun story about how he directed the first movie that was vaguely based on a book in 1934 and then wanted to redo it. So what he did was he told the screenwriter in the 1950s, okay, here's kind of what the movie is about. And then the screenwriter wrote a completely different script for mm. the one in 1956 because he just mm. really wanted to redo it because yeah, I mean, he was very prolific. He was very prolific. And, you know, he in an interview, he said the one in 1934 was made by an amateur and the one in 1956 was made by a professional. So there you go. And because he was Alfred Hitchcock, they let him just do whatever he wanted. They sure did. Because yeah, he invented this is movies. Another, another great line delivery from Remista when she talks about the Pearl who knew too much. You think it's the Pearl, but it's not. She's just, you know, she's just so excited to share all of her knowledge about all of the mystery books so much. And then when she says that after the lightning strike, Perfuma strikes a dramatic pose, put her hand against the back of her head and says, spoilers. I know I have Perfuma's re like total, complete buy into all of this is some of my gayest moments. Yes. Because she's just like totally into it and like totally buying into it. And it's just like. Following Mermista around, believing everything. The note taking yes. is fantastic. I feel like Perfuma is ready to be Seahawk and Mermista's third at this point. Absolutely. She's super about this. She's so I into have, it. I just have a Perfuma being like buying fully into this ridiculous queeniness as gayest moments for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then Mermista strikes another dramatic pose. She puts one foot up on the table and then she points one hand dramatically in the same direction, pointing at nothing, but in a way that suggests action, like Seahawk yelling Excelsior. Yeah, like Seahawk does. Yeah, and she says that it's time to interrogate the castle. I love it. <laughs> and then Frosta notices all of these perfectly timed lightning strikes, and she says, how are you doing that? And Mermista still in pose and all, you know, like in her power and like just feeling herself. She says, I practice at home. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. And, you know, she's just having the time of her life. And then in the background, Glimmer just puts her head in her hand like this is all so <laughs> dumb, which normally whenever she does that, I am like feeling the same way. I'm like right there with her. But right now I'm not. I'm like, Glimmer, mm. just sit the fuck down. Yeah. Like sit the fuck down and listen to something like you. This is your cabinet. Basically, every every yes. great leader has a cabinet. Listen to your people. Yeah, like no, unclench I, baby queen is my final bullet there. Th that's a great way to put it. This is your cabinet. I love that. Yes. Also, so, I would totally do this if I could. If I could practice this at home, I totally would because I am that ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. would follow you if, you know, yes. if you could move through a scene with this kind of conviction and all that knowledge, I would be like, yes, force Captain Meth, lead us. I mean, and also make just lightning, like lightning and thunder, just like, you know, crash oh, at yeah. will. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Ah. I mean, that makes a person seem like they know their shit. Absolutely. You, you should know. listen to that person. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, natural phenomenon always adds gravitas to anything you say. Fuck yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fuck yeah. So let's move on to the Bright Moon Base Camp. I love that. I where love Flutterina this. Flutterina is entering her tent. So they make Flutterina sleep in a tent? I mean, she's just a new recruit. This is the where all the people who are not like castle higher ups sleep. That's fair. That's fair. But she still gets to like come and kick it in the castle, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I we we don't have any specific knowledge about where anyone sleeps other than like um Shira, Adora, and Glitter and Glimmer. Yeah, and Bo. Like, we've never seen Bo's bedroom even. We don't know if well, he I has guess a you, tent or a room in the castle. I guess you're right. We we extrapolate that Bo has a room in, in Bright Moon, but um we don't really know. And also these are really, really nice tents. This is like glamping. She's a beanbag chair. Oh yeah. I mean I'm not saying that like, you know, she's she's slumming it in any way. Yeah. Um, but I think all all of the Bright Moon fighters, all of the rebel fighters, I think are in this base camp. Fair. And anyone who comes to join them assumably, would join the base camp. Fair. Anyway, so here comes Flutterina, looking so innocent. Yeah. Looking around, making sure she's alone. And then Flutterina transforms back into double trouble, flopping down on that comfy-looking beanbag chair. Now comes the horde issue comms pad. Aw. And then we get Catra yelling at Kyle. Yep. Because who doesn't love to yell at Kyle? I mean, seriously, Kyle? Definitely Catra's favorite pastime, especially right now. She's so on edge. Yep, she's really on edge. And Double Trouble is aware of how on edge Catra is. Mm -hmm. And they say, meow, you okay there, kitten? And Catra is like, you know, like, okay. Yeah, just steamrolling ahead. Yep, yep, just not not even engaging, like, wants to know the status of the princesses, seeing if they're still, you know, thrown off about their their loss in drill. Right, are they still moping? Yeah. And, you know, Double Trouble is like, brings up that they're playing detective, looking for the spy, and Catra's like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah, is your cover not blown? worried about this at all. No, and Catra's like, uh, seriously? <laughs> Yeah, Catra's very worried because right now Catra is so on edge. Yeah, because like, she's... Catra needs things to continue to be moving forward flawlessly, basically. Yeah, she's doing her she's doing her big thing right now. Until the Horde's big mission is done. Yes, and yes. Double Trouble Stick, don't, don't worry. I, I play, these, I play these, these dudes like a fiddle. Yeah, yeah. Double Trouble's not worried at all because number one... No one would ever suspect a goody two-shoes like Flutterina. Number mm-hmm. two, if they do start to get suspicious, Double Trouble can always just shapeshift into someone else to throw them off track, mm-hmm. which they do, obviously, several times in this episode. And number three, my favorite, no one ever expects the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. <laughs> I added that. I, 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 yes, that was not here. But yes, chaos, chaos, basically. Chaos, chaos, chaos. Double Trouble knows how to sow chaos and is not worried. And, you know, right here, all we need is just a little bit more chaos until the big plan goes off. Yes, Double Trouble's ending line, which sums it all up, is like, don't worry, I'll just tire them out a bit. Right. And then we go back to Bright Moon. 
alone in this makeshift interrogation room. This adorable makeshift setup. Where we have this I good cop, bad cop, I think. Including a flower lamp that's uh-huh. being used as an interrogation lamp. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We've got Mernest and Perfuma. That's our good cop, bad cop setup. Yep. And, and Perfuma's trying so hard to copy whatever Mermista does. Right. To be a good sidekick. It's so funny. It is uh, hilarious. And, you know, Marista keeps bringing up murders. And Juliet is like, what? I know. And then Perfuma keeps reminding her that there still haven't been any murders. Yeah. And, and Juliet you know, is like the only adult in this like giant playpen of children. Yeah. She's like the like the only. Yeah. She's the only adult in the room. And uh, I wanted to just bring up the music a little bit before we kind yes, of move on. Please. Because the music going through this entire area. Um, uh, it, it comes up throughout the the yes the music the episode kind of in this going episode through. is very unique and very yeah. much like a player yeah in, in the episode and it goes throughout the episode um, yes. but it first comes up here so we're gonna have some music fun times here for a second the music here is reminiscent of moody jazz that is often used in soundtracks of classic film noir thrillers which is another genre this episode borrows heavily from um, we chat about a little bit about film noirs in our role with that episode. I'm not going to redo film noir, but if you want to listen about film noirs, you can go listen at roll with it or, you know, consult your local library because they have many films that you can watch. Um, the walking bass and sax, the uh, lines here in particular are also reminiscent of the dance of the dream man piece from the twin Peaks soundtrack, which is another noir inspired mystery show uh, by David Lynch who was from another previously mentioned Professor Smart Brain moment. Mm-hmm. So a couple of callbacks to a couple of other things that I've brought up before. So that's all. That was very, very cool. And I was very aware of music in this episode. So it's good to know a little bit more context about that. Because as you know, I am a music layperson. Yeah, just actually a one more really quick thing. I, was, I picked up uh, when I was doing a little bit of quickie research on kind of how jazz is used in um, film noir. Um, kind of the pinnacle of jazz being used in film noir um, mm-hmm. was actually kind of brought in in a French film noir. Uh, and it was because of Miles Davis. Oh, nice. So I'm like, of course it was like the king of jazz was like, they were like, <gasps> Hey, will you do this? Will you do this, you know, soundtrack to this movie? Miles Davis. Miles Davis was like, yeah, let me just improv this entire ass soundtrack. Oh, so, fantastic. Yeah. So definitely love me some Miles Davis. Oh, absolutely. So, all right. That's some fun nuggets. Nice. So we get into this interrogation. Mermista accuses the general of not following the plan in the battle for drill and says that there are a bunch of witnesses corroborating this. Um, and General Juliet denies it. She says she followed the plan exactly. Mm-hmm. And then Perfuma tries to be a badass like her new hero, Inspector Mermista. And mm-hmm. she slams her hands in on the table, yelling, a likely story. But then okay. she causes, because of slamming her hands down, she causes the flower lamp to wobble. And then she breaks her tough guy character to grab it because it's more important for the flower lamp not to break than to maintain a tough guy facade. Right, right, right. <laughs> so she's like, oh, whoops, sorry. I- I'm a tough guy. I really am. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and then Mermista says, admit it. You were slipping away to warn the horde of our plan, just like in Mermistery, Secret of the Apollonie. 
that one's really good. You should read it. That <laughs> and Perfuma? Then, that's when Perfuma quietly pulls out her little notebook and we get to see her, her little notes about how to be a good mystery solving tough guy. Uh-huh. So, and it's adorned with all these little cute doodles of leaves, hearts, and smiling flowers. Uh-huh. So we see her notes. She's got maintain scowl, hit the table, which she did. And now she adds Secret of the Abalone. And this is my next gayest moment, as you I mentioned. I also had this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's a great episode for both um, Mermista and Perfuma. Yep. We're just yeah. enjoying this wonderful, now shared special interest that they have. Yep. It's adorable. I love it. It is adorable. But General Juliet has really had enough of this Michigas. And so she tells them exactly what happened. And we get the first of many super cool black and white flashbacks. Yep. And I wrote, this may or may not be accurate. You can tell me. I mm-hmm. wrote fun Pink Panther type music for the flashback sequence. Yeah. I mean, we have that that same walking basin and saxophone that is yeah. reminiscent of. And yeah. he, uh, Henry Mancini actually did the the um, theme for the Pink Panther. Cool. Oh. I have no idea who that is. but or, Excuse me. Henry Mancini. I, I mispronounced his name. Okay. He was a film um Composer. Now we hear the first version of what actually happened on this mission in drill that they're all discussing from General Juliet's POV. She says that Glimmer filled her in. Shira was going to lure away the horde. Team A, which was Frostabo and Flutterina, would scout ahead. Team B, Seahawk and Mermista, would guard the exits. And then we see in this black and white flashback, we see all our pals represented as adorable little cartoony avatars on their little comms tracker pad. And then the voiceover of General Juliet continues. Team A indicated the coast was clear and we converged on their signal. But that's when Frosta ran into us and said that they hadn't finished scouting. Hmm. And then we see uh, Seahawk running toward them with Mermista in his arms and a large chaotic group of horde soldiers and bots yelling and running after them. And it ends with comedic chaos. Aye. So that's our first flashback view of what happened today. Okay. And so back in the present, Juliet says, Team A sent the all clear. If you want to know what went wrong, ask Bo. Oh, Bo. Poor, poor Bo. Poor, poor Bo. Bo does and not have a great time in this episode. Not really. Bo thinks that he is the Manchurian candidate and yes. was brainwashed and everything is his fault. Yes. So now we have a new interview in the same room. Starts with Bo dramatically gripping the back of the couch, yelling, "Okay, I confess, it was me." And then next to him, we have the Plumeria florist dude sitting there, looking very confused. Oh, yeah. my favorite himbo. He's my yeah. favorite himbo. Yeah, he is a great himbo. He's then a great Frosta, himbo. Frosta, who's very annoyed, says, "Bo, we're not even questioning you." <laughs> I, know, I love that. But Bo does not hear her. No, he, no, he needs he's to just un- unburden himself of this confession. He's so guilty. He says that if he is the spy, it's an accident. And he's wondering if it's possible to be an accidental spy or perhaps he has an evil, evil alter ego or he was brainwashed. And at this point, he is like rocking with his arms wrapped around himself. He is sincerely looking like he is on the edge of a breakdown. I know. And poor flower dude is like, oh, am I still being questioned? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I got stuff to do. 
Can you arrange some more flowers? I got some flowers. I got some party kale that I need to drop (laughs) off. But, you know, nobody's paying any attention to him. Bo grabs the lamp to interrogate himself. Shine the light on his own face. I know. He says it all goes back to what happened in Drill. And then we get the. Tell us about Bo's flashback. So we get the Bo flashback. um, And I have from the transcript. Uh, everyone was in position. I was using my new tech to look for remaining horde soldiers. Yes, and then his my new tech was just goggles that are somehow yeah. electronically enhanced. He had these cool goggles. They were cool. They were like, they were like Google goggles or like, you know, like goggles, goggles. Yes. Uh, like, yeah. yeah. But like if you were just looking through regular binoculars, then you could see that there were two frosts and your eyes are not glitching. Yeah, they were like, you know, they were like augmented reality yes, goggles. They were like Google goggles. That is well yeah. put. Yes. Uh, and then my goggles glitched. Goggles glitched. Blah, blah, blah. That's a fun one to say. But you and did say it right. I did say it right. It's true. I I did my I did my enunciation homework before I came here on well hey Adora. Well um, done. Then my goggles glitched, and I, I don't know what happened. I started to see double, and so then we see that he saw two frostas, but he did. did not, but did not believe this. Right. Um, he assumed that's, that there was some sort of tech glitch going on. Well, Right. He did not trust his eyes. He did not trust his own eyes. And that's when the other team came in way too early. And he tried to signal everybody to fall back. But his tracker pad was missing. Oh, gasp. What? So and I also love the little Bo's little icons are adorable. Yes. Those little like video game avatars. I know. They're so cute. They're very cute. So Bo was seeing double. And the tracker pad was missing. And yep, Jenny, yep. that is Michigas. That is some Michigas. That is some Michigas. That yes. is crazy town. Yes. And so back in the present, in the interrogation room, Bo is still shining the light in his own face. Like he's interrogating <laughs> himself super hard and not giving himself one inch. And the hippie dude is like, whoa. I know. <laughs> he's totally like, you can see two people at yeah. once. Whoa, you blow my mind. Yeah. And so Bo is just so overwrought. He says, Don't you realize what this means? He says he thinks the only two possibilities are that he either lost the tracker pad, in which mm-hmm. case it's his fault if the horde got it, or mm-hmm. he did it on purpose because he is the spy and he doesn't even know it. Bo, buddy. And Frosta is so annoyed. Buddy, you got so much. You got you too much guilt. The spy. Right. Everyone's like, Bo, it's not you. And Bo climbs on the table on all fours and says, you don't know that. It all makes sense. Who else could it be? And then we have our like little misdirect, like, which is a great transition. It is. But we have a lightning flash transition to Shadow Weaver's garden. Hmm. Do you think it could be Shadow Weaver? All signs point to yes. Well, let's have a conversation with Shadow Weaver. Yes. And it seems like it might not have been the best pairing, but this is the pairing we have. We have Glimmer and Adora. <laughs> yep. An interrogation team now interrogating Shadow Weaver. I'm sure this is going to be fine. Yeah, it's totally fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. So oh, Adora. I, I, I had an interesting point at the top of this scene. I realized. Yeah. In the last episode. There was only Shira. Adora was in Shira form the entire episode. There was no Adora. And in right. this episode, there's only Adora and no Shira. 
Oh. And I wonder if that is just a coincidence or hmm. if it means anything. But it's just, it's just something I noticed. Yeah. No, that's a good observation. Yeah. Awesome. Anyway, so now we have these two boos together. Adora Aww. is Love these so boos. tense. Her arms are crossed over her chest. All her body language is super tense. Yeah. And all of everything she says is just dripping with sarcasm. Yeah. And I mean, her suspicion is not entirely unwarranted. No, of course. It's fully warranted. Yeah. But it's not really coming from any place that has any proof either. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't have any specific proof. But as a general theory, it's warranted. Correct. Yes. Um, but, you know, eventually the lack of proof, like, you know, you have to move on when you see that there's no proof. Right. But in the beginning, yeah. it's warranted. In the beginning, it's warranted. But, you know, Shadow Weaver's. No, she Shadow Weaver's like, no, I've been busy playing in my garden. And then she ugh, fucking gaslights Adora. Yeah. Like, she's always been paranoid like this, you know, and like talks about and Adora like she's not laughs. there. It's like and a Glimmer joke laughs. between Shadow Weaver and Glimmer. And it's I don't so think that's very fucked nice. Up. I, I like ugh, I like shuddered yeah, at that. I don't like it's so it. fucked up. It's so abusive. It's so fucked up. Yeah, I hate it. Yeah. And the fact that Glimmer, you know, I understand where Glimmer's coming from emotionally in a lot of ways. But the fact that Glimmer doesn't recognize how fucked up this is, is not yeah. cool. Friendship wise. No, it's really not cool. Yeah. Um, and this again, this threesome was not a great pairing for whoever no. decided that this is how the interrogation should go. No, definitely not. Um, and also, so Adora's pissed. She's pissed that they're making jokes with each other at her expense. And she wants to know why Shadow Weaver was seen this morning wandering around without her guards. Yeah. Um, and at that point, Glimmer makes a little eek face and she like mm-hmm. half-heartedly starts to interject. But then Shadow Weaver cuts her off to explain that <laughs> she was this. engaging in a ritual. And, and then we cut to a dramatic this. flashback of Shadow Weaver's ritual in the garden. I love um, this. And as she's Shadow Weaver shown with her back to us poised over some kind of cauldron as she narrates essence of echinacea a dash of ginger root and so even i remember when i was watching this episode for the first time even when she first said echinacea before she even got to the ginger root i was like yeah it's tea yeah just making tea yeah yeah exactly Um, i'm like oh she's She's keeping her immune system going. Okay, great. Good for her. Fine. Um, And so, like, the music is very ominous. And then, as soon as she finishes putting the ingredients together, the music and the tone entirely shift to this, like, Mm -hmm. wholesome, shiny, boop, 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 as she turns around and displays her cup of tea. My morning tea ritual. Boop, boop, boop. Yeah. Boop, 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 boop. Me and Perfuma drink tea in the morning together, right? yeah, Yeah, it's a funny little red herring moment. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, we cut back to the present where Adora is laughing disbelievingly. She is not buying this at all. Just admit it's you. We all know it's you. Right. Who else could it be? Yes. And Shadow Weaver is so chill that she's almost bored. Uh-huh. But she's like, no, sorry. Mm-hmm. Shadow Weaver is so not the spy that she's bored by the accusation. Yeah, and is like, I am not the villain of this yes. story. And a little lampshade hang yes. on that one, right? Yes. Like, oh, and to answer your question, Glimmer decided to dismiss her guards 
So now she's no longer a prisoner. She's a guest. Yeah. And Adora's like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I dude, don't. Glimmer, Adora really should uh-huh. have heard that one And from also, like, yeah, I don't, I mean, I cannot blame Adora for having these feelings. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Like, yes, it was Glimmer's decision to make she is the queen. But, like, this is your best friend. You know the history here. You should like, have fucking from told Like, way, her. way, way back. Like, third or fourth yeah. was a third episode where you literally, like, hey, I just met my new friend. By the way, here she is having major panic attacks whenever she thinks of this person. Like, dude, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is like her like, original trauma, yeah, her original like, abuser. Come this on. Is like, this is not being on, a good dude. friend. Yeah, no. So they start to get into it, and Shadow Weaver interrupts, saying, Every moment you waste here, the horde gets that much further ahead. Which yes. she is correct. And then she says a line mm-hmm. that comes back at the end. In order to catch a rat, you need to spring Which she a is trap. not wrong about. She is not wrong. And then Adora Her has dumbass a Adora moment. Line. She says, well, in order to catch the spy, we need you to admit that yep. you're and a I spy. And I have this as a gayest moment of Adora being like an, a wonderful himbo lesbian here. But, you know, we love Adora. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good job, Adora. Absolutely. And then it's... Absolutely hilarious. And then Glimmer gives us a great transitional line. She says to let it go because there's lots of other people it could be. And Adora says, like who? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like who, Oh, indeed. my goodness, Seahawk. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I love this. And then we go to the interrogation room. And we have Seahawk just being so dumb. Just perfect. It's perfect. Yes. He's so goofy. Yes. Seahawk is going to regale us with some tales oh my of gosh. exploits. His heroic And Marmist is like, this <laughs> asshole didn't do it. He's so dumb. Why do we have to listen to this? Yeah. Um, and I have, this is one of my gayest moments yeah. of a Seahawk just butching it up. Like, in his story. Mm-hmm. Um, but with, with a, a lollipop. lollipop. And actually that initial, that like initial shot of Seahawk leaning against the, um, l- you know, leaning against the pole, all wall, all wall. butch, you know, yeah. half shadow, that sort of thing. Of course, the lollipop. Right. Is the same way we saw cigarette. it with Glimmer and roll with it with the toothpick. This is, you know, in black and white instead of in black and pink. And that this is also reminiscent of classic mm-hmm. film noir visual storytelling, showing that this is yes. like, you know, an antihero or somebody who is in half shadow, you know, they're in there do well. They will do whatever it takes, blah, 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 blah. Um, and he's super tough and, mm-hmm. you know, just, he's, he's just butching it up, but yeah. really he's just being dope. He's, yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. he's just sitting here lying, but also he says that, you know, he is going, he does all this ridiculous shit. He says that he's avoiding booby traps, risking his life, just like in Mer Mysteries, Serpent of the Sea. And Mermist is like, wait, that's where my book went. I was looking for that. Yes, but in all the goofiness, he does give us one nugget of necessary true information, which is that he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, which mm-hmm. was guarding the door, 
but Perfuma showed up to relieve him so he could go right. off and join the fight. And so that Perfuma, we eventually realized, yes. was double trouble. Because that's, that's why, why he wasn't where he was supposed to be guarding the door. Yes. And that's the only nugget of truth so that he has. That's yeah. the actual nugget of truth. And the rest of it is just goofy Seahawk yeah. mustache yeah. ridiculousness. His mustache ridiculousness is a really great way to describe what he was doing. And then back in the present, yes, back in the present, when Mermista is chastising him for stealing her book, he and he's ignoring her, and he says, that's when the clouds parted, and we go back into the flashback, and we see Mermista illuminated in the distance in this totally new animation style, but I'm not sure... If there's a specific, specific name for this animation style, it's a little yeah. bit more anime-ish. She's got mm-hmm. stars in her eyes. Her hair mm-hmm. is sparkling in the moonlight. She's giggling. And there's some sexy saxophone yeah. behind her. She's more femi-looking. You know, it's very, you know, maybe it's like anime yeah, I don't. Mashup. I don't know what it is either. I just know that this is like him, like, literally... And she is, like, the most beautiful thing that he's ever seen, and... Yes, and then in the present, in the narration, where Mr. cuts in, she's like, Moonlight? The battle happened this morning. I love him. And, you know, he's not listening. Um, And there's a great shot of sexy anime Seahawk and Mermista framed by this enormous fucking moon. Maybe they They may have been having a super moon. It's true. And it's just very stylized Mm -hmm. and sexy. They look great. And they look fantastic. And then it ends with the, sh- the same shot that Bo described, just animated differently, of Seahawk carrying Mermista mm-hmm. away from the attack. And he says that he took on 40, no 50 horde soldiers. <laughs> and he saved Drill, good, which is not what happened. But in good for Seahawk's him. story, it is. Good for him. Good for you, buddy. Good for you, buddy. Enjoy your own interior life. Yeah, you know, you got, you got you. this, buddy. Yeah. But, you know, Mermista rightly points out that they lost Rill and he punched like one guy. And Seahawk agrees. One Oh, and also guys. Glimmer got them all out. Yes. Um, but Perfuma now is confused because she says she was with General Juliet the whole time. And she says to Mermista, why weren't you and with And Mermista was like, um, because Frosta waved me over but disappeared before I could reach her. Right. So the confusion yes. is starting to set in. And Seahawk just wants to know who wants <laughs> to see him do some squats. It's like... Dude, what? What? <laughs> Read the, it's like, Read hey, the who room, wants to give Seahawk. me attention right now? It's like a little kid thing being like, who wants yes. to see me do this thing I'm really good at? It's like, okay, buddy, read the room. Yeah, um, yes, yes, And yes. <laughs> they just push him. And, and they push him out in the door squat in position. squat position. Um, and that's great. Yes. And then we have another perfect transition where Seahawk says, I bet a door and Glimmer don't push suspects <laughs> out the door. Which is a great opportunity for us to cut over and see what Adora and And it looks Glimmer like they're chatting with Flutterina. Hmm, I wonder why. It, it looks does. tense. That's it does my look first tense. note. Yes. It's tense. Okay. They're not hey. chatting. <laughs> I was, uh, Glimmer and Adora I was, are both just standing there I was silently. dramatically downplaying I'm that. I'm sure we're going to get there. I'm sure you were going to get there, but I'm just setting the scene. Um, They're standing silently, very tense body language, both of them failing to question the actual spy who is right in front of them right fucking now. They're not, (laughs) things aren't great. And uh, yeah, so finally, 
Glimmer breaks this tense silence by going, ugh. <laughs> and then right. dives in and starts talking yeah. to Flutterina. And um, Flutterina's, you know, feigning innocence. Is everything yes. okay? Everyone seems so yeah. tense. Yeah. Have you tried interviewing Shadow Weaver? Uh-huh. She seems kind of uh-huh. untrustworthy. Like, it's so easy for her to just manipulate them back into just like sort of jabbing them in their bruises without them noticing that she is the one jabbing them in their bruises. And Adora's like, oh no. And then like totally, you know, is, you know, according to Glimmer, she's totally trustworthy and it's fine to just let her walk around the castle whenever she wants. And she's just digging in and it's just like, you know, and they start to fight. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Adora has the best indignant lesbian huff 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 possibly ever. She's just, you know, because Glimmer says, I don't have to tell right, you about right. every decision I make. And Adora, in response to that, I don't even know if I can <laughs> do it properly, but you guys know the one I'm talking about where she goes, oh, 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 oh. But it is really Shadow good. Weaver. Yes, yes, I agree. It is definitely in- it's, it's indignant it's lesbian huff funny. huff huff. And then Glimmer, I like that. Yeah. Yes, yes, it's so funny. And then Glimmer says, maybe it's because Shadow Weaver actually listened to me when you and Bo kept leaving Damn. without me. So they're finally both like really just like leaving Damn. it all on the table. Saying what's really bothering both of them. So now mm-hmm. Flutterina's work is done. She is pleased with the results like, and she starts I'm to exit. I'm just gonna come but, back later. Yes, but then she hesitates when she realizes that the argument is shifting into whether or not uh-huh. they should move on. Move on to, you know, what is the horde up to now? And she's like, no, uh-huh. I can't let them do that. And while she's waffling over this, the door slams open and uh-huh. it's and I like that it's kind of slams open on her. <laughs> it's like, Womp. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Mermista has another great, it's like almost yep, squashed a little bug there. And Mermista has another great line. She says, why are you just standing around? This isn't her mystery. The case of people who just stood around. The <laughs> sequel I yeah, just wrote I love about this all line. of you. I, uh, <laughs> so many great lines so in this episode. So many great lines in this episode. And Glimmer doesn't even know yeah, who's And then they just pull random. They start just grabbing random people. Yeah. And so this is a great, like at this point, you know, we're like getting in, we're like halfway or more through season four. So we're at a point now where we can be like, who? Who's left? We know plenty of people. We We have all sorts of random people we've known up until this point, like the cooks from Drill. Yes. So we've got our kitchen staff buddies, and here's a bright moon guard who's also obsessed with the mermaid. Oh, and this one is a nice quick, um, nice quick throw, like the throwaway line. Mermistery, the Maltese otter, is a throw, a nod to the Maltese falcon, which is a novel by Dashiell Hammett and a film by John Huston, which was one of my favorite movies when I was a teenager and obsessed with Humphrey Bogart. Um. Yes. Thank you. Nice. Uh. And nice. Yeah. And, I've heard. And, of it. That's yeah. I can at least um, say that and Mermista was just like, "Ugh, that yes. one's so predictable." I saw a twist coming. The twist coming a mile away. And we have Swiftwind, who has, who wasn't even who wasn't there. Even and there. Jenny, was that a mace? That Swiftwind. Yep. Yes. Yes. So Swiftwind had Indeed. a. And then we yep. go back to Seahawk, who continues to inflate the number of just guys in the that same he took out. sentence. Yep, yep. Then we, again, we go back to Bo, 
who is just continually more and more overwrought and just wants to be arrested before yep. he can do any more harm. Then back to Swiftwind again, <laughs> who is told yep. to put the mace and... away. <laughs> and now we have three townsfolk we've never seen. One of I whom love... has a oh, third eye. Oh, I love third eye townsfolk. Ah. Yes. And now we have three more different be and then they're like, townsfolk. Huh? And now we have Spinny and Natasa in like major formal wear. Yeah, looking it's like very unamused. Like maybe they just got pulled out of like their. Yeah, I was thinking that like one of them has something. like a bouquet of flowers. Like they were on a date. Yeah, they uh-huh. were on a serious date. And they're also like General Juliet. Like, yes, children, please. <laughs> and then we go back to the hippie dude who thinks yep. maybe Shira did and- it. And then. I think it's Frosta who's like, hey, we already questioned you. He's like, yeah, I came yeah, back for the tiny I mean, that's real. And that's the perfect segue for us to just sort of like zoom out into this whole room full of people and chaos and uh-huh. tiny scones. It's basically just like a community yeah. forum yeah, and now that nobody even really knows why they're there. But it's like, hey, we're here. Let's just have scones and yep, it's a fuzzy damn beverages. Mess. Fizzy beverages. Probably not, probably fuzzy. not fuzzy. Maybe fizzy probably. Yeah. But you know, it, yeah, it's, it's getting a damn crazy, mess. basically. Yes. Um, it's it's a damn mess, and Glimmer is looking on from the doorway, yeah. very unamused at all of this time-wasting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. craziness. And Adora is the only one who notices Glimmer mm-hmm. standing there. Um, and follows her out as she leaves. And then our next theme is in Glimmer's room, where Glimmer is just standing in the dark looking out the window at the storm. Yes. And very moody. Very moody, yes. deciding what she's going to do, because she's just not satisfied with the pace of the action. She, as we know, Glimmer is our action girl. She wants yep. to do yeah, something. Yeah, and nothing is working. What nothing she is doing is working. Right. Nothing they are right. doing as a group has worked. So Glimmer is, you know, standing alone in her room. She holds out her hand and manifests or summons her staff. And that's Mm -hmm. when Adora enters. And she's like, hey, Mm -hmm. bud, where are you going? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Glimmer is like, it's, you know, I can't just sit here and wait for the next bad thing to happen. And Adora is like, what, are you going to teleport into the Fright Zone and solve this by yourself? And just leave the night without telling anyone with no backup. Yeah. And once again, we have this tension, you know, someone's got to do something. You can't leave in the middle of the night. The less people, you know, you know. Yeah, this push yeah, and pull yeah, again pull like this is the continuous push and pull that we're having yeah, yeah right right and then when glimmer says less people involved the better because they don't know who they can trust adora says and at this point i really feel like adora's tone mm-hmm. and demeanor shifts from angry and accusatory to more like yeah. earnest and vulnerable she says and what about me were you gonna tell right. me or Bo?" Yeah. And I feel like Glimmer really hears that and she starts to say Adora. And then Adora says, Stay, mm-hmm. please. I know we can figure this out if we work together. No more secrets and doing things without us. We need you here. Mm-hmm. I need you here. And I feel like they've both finally, away from all the chaos, transitioned into more of an open and vulnerable way of communicating with each other instead of just being angry yep. and accusatory. And just as. And so yeah. Glimmer hears and just it. as we have this like soft moment, we have Bo running in saying Well before Bo runs Glimmer in, agrees. Glimmer yes. agrees. She she yeah. summons the staff 
And she says, and they, okay, they connect I'm here. and they have the soft moment together. Yes. And then, oh, sorry, that's important. Yes. Yes. And yes. 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 And then yes. Bo runs in and, you know, and Frosta and everyone's like, where have you been? And then we find out that some bad shit's gone down. Yes. Because, um, Bo tells them that the comms panel in the war room has been smashed. What? That's fucked. Fuck. So now we all go to the war room. Fuck, how did that happen? When did it happen? Right? And Mermista says they were just passing by the room when they saw it. Yeah, and Frost was like, well, we just saw you running out of here. And Mermista's like, what? No, uh. Yeah, and she was with Perfuma. And Perfuma was like, well, could the storm have caused this? Yes, lightning strike inside the house just in one place. Inside the house, just one place. Sure, Perfuma. You know what, though? Like, okay. Yeah. And Glimmer says dramatically that it wasn't the storm. It was sabotage. What? Glimmer is adapting and acquiring the power of the lightning strike. Good for her. So it must be right. Good for her. If the lightning strike is behind you, your statement is true. Yes, and now they go to the room of crime solving. The hearth the room. Fireplace the room. fireplace room. Of, yes, of hearth, yes, yes. The hearth fireplace room of crime solving. Yes. There's also one more important detail. A, a clue, perhaps. A clue? Um, as, yes, in before we go back to the fireplace room, there was also Bo's missing tracker pad was broken on the floor in a pool of water. Yes. Next next to the broken comms yes, panel. Yes, we do see that. How was it wet? How did it get waterlogged? Hmm. Well, perhaps someone put water on it to throw suspicion onto Mermista. Oh. Perhaps. Perhaps. Or perhaps it really was Mermista who is What? We don't know this. So let's go to the fireplace room and figure let's it out. Let's go to the fireplace room. So we have everybody in the fireplace room now. Everybody has gathered to talk about what has just happened. Yes. Everyone is looking wicked tense. Wicked tense. And Glimmer is staring into the fire. Yes. So much drama. Yes. So, you know, we get a little bit of exposition. The general is working on restoring communication. In the meantime, there's a backup device in the dining room, should we need it. Yes. Very important exposition. And then we have our our Mermista doing our big, like, all of us here knew we were trying to unmask the spy. Yes. You know. We've ruled out all the other suspects. Mm-hmm. Means it has to be one of has us. Has to be one of us. And then we have a long dramatic pause so we can get each person's reaction uh-huh. shots. And then. And then we have everybody, you know, doing, you know, we're doing the accusation dance here. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes. You know, Perfuma was the one. Frost is yelling about Perfuma. Perfuma's yelling about Mermista. Frost is, you know. <clears throat> Frosta is denying. Everybody's denying. Everybody is blaming. We're saying that yes. there's water on the tracker pad, but water could be ice. Bo, of course. Could be melted could be ice. Melted yes. ice bought it. Bo. Bo still thinks it was Bo him. Bo still thinks it was him. Frosta is still so annoyed by having to say, it's not you, Bo. We hear, we get the great, you know, Mermista says, well, maybe it was like in the Mermistry salter ego yeah i have nothing to say about that other than no salter ego no notes no notes yeah. um 200 soldiers now 
Yes. Seahawk couldn't have been him. He was busy fighting 200 soldiers. Now in, in, you know, he's 200 soldiers we're up to. Yes. In case you're counting. Yes. It was originally 40. Yep. Now it's up to now 200. Um, Adora is, you know, saying this is a waste of time. So Adora and Glimmer are now having their own separate fight. Yes. Um, their core argument and Glimmer cuts her off and starts saying, stop questioning my choices, etc." <laughs> Seahawk. So they're really getting into yeah, it. Yeah, Seahawk is and in the doing squats. Seahawk starts doing squats. Again. Sure, buddy. And the room is getting very chaotic. And so this is my next gayest moment. This whole room of gay drama. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the gayest moment for me, too. Just gay drama everywhere. Yes. Um, even though we eventually figure out that this is a fabrication for Flutterina's benefit. Mm-hmm. There's it's still they're doing it. They're making it. Happen. There's some real shit here, too. I mean, the yeah, stuff yeah. between Adora and Glimmer right here, like yeah, it's not made. up. No, no. They're letting it out. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, acting is also drama. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Acting. In fact, drama is another word for acting. acting. Uh, narration. Narration. Um, so Flutterina takes advantage of all this chaos and sneaks out. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we see what happens next, we get to the climax of Glimmer and Adora's fake, but maybe not totally fake argument. Fake? And I feel like... Yeah. And I mean, the way that we, when we eventually see the flashback of the ending of it, mm-hmm. it does seem authentically like they didn't mean it, but we know that it wasn't drawn on nothing. Right. So yeah. it's complicated the extent to which it was fake. Right. Yeah. But so I think that we should go over these final lines because it's really important. Yes, starting I agree. Starting with Adora saying, look at what she's doing. Uh-huh. Yeah. And because these are like um, this is these are the this is the crux of what their conflict is. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to say um one one of their lines? And sure, I'll say, the I'll other say Adora's. One? And uh, Adora says, okay. "Look at what she's doing. Look at what she's doing to you." Shadow Weaver just wants power, and you are listening to her. And then Glimmer says, "Oh, what? Are you jealous because you aren't Shadow Weaver's favorite anymore, or are you just mad because I'm queen and in charge and you're not?" Yeah, it's like, damn. Okay. That's really harsh. Yeah, that's way harsh. That is way harsh. And then, you know, we get to, and Adora's like, well, that's ridiculous. Yep. And Glimmer says, you just run around playing the perfect hero. You have no idea how hard it's been for me. And that's, and Adora rightly says, you know, and angrily, because you stopped including me in your decisions. We used to be a team Mm -hmm. and now I don't know what we are. Yep. And, damn. Yeah. And at that point, all the other chaos in the room has stopped and everyone is just watching them fight. Right. They're like, oh God. Which is awful when you realize mm-hmm. that everyone else in the room has stopped doing whatever they're doing and they're just all watching you right. fight. Right, and that's when you know your fight is like the realest fight in the room. Yeah, are like, not oh, great. fuck. Not great. Not great. So at that point, it's very upsetting. Like when you're watching it for the first time and you think it's real. Uh-huh, yeah. When you think it's 100% real? Yeah. It's very upsetting. Yeah, and I mean, like, and it's like, you know, it's 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 like thirty five percent real. I mean, the like, they it was planned. Like the fight it was, was planned, planned, but the emotional the emotional issues are, issues are real. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Um, so at this point, we can move on to the dining yeah, room. Yeah, so. Which is dark and deserted. Yep. And it's a perfect time for Flood Arena to sneak in looking not so sweet. Yes. Looking for the whispering for the backup communicator. Because, of course, yes. if I'm if I'm off a spy in, that's what I do is say things that I'm looking for out loud. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's very helpful. I mean, yeah. Fluttering is definitely overconfident. At this yeah. Point. So time for some light. Time for what? <gasps> ah! And here's Glimmer and Adora looking extremely chummy for two people who were having like a friendship ending fight sure. three seconds ago. Sure. And Fluttering is like the worst lie ever. I was looking for uh, the bathroom. Yes. And then she, when she realizes that everyone's there and there's no escape, she tries to get away by kicking Adora in the shins. Just like, that'll work. Yeah. On your, like, eight-foot-tall Amazon hero. Yeah. I mean, she's not in sheer form right now, but she could be in two seconds if she wanted to be. Also, we all know Adora's tough as fuck anyway, so, like... Yeah, she's still a horde soldier. Yeah. So that doesn't seem very likely, but you know, she never really had a chance. Right. Um, um, she r- tries to run away. Adora does not run after her because she knows something Flutterina does not know. Right. There is a magic force field waiting for her. Oh, magic. Oh, magic. Oh, magic. How clever. Indeed. Indeed. She was found out. Indeed. So as soon as she realizes that the jig is up, before she even transforms, that little Flutterina persona melts away immediately and she becomes very saucy. Yep. Oh, I see. Magic. How very clever. Mm-hmm. And then... And Adora smirks and says casually that Shadow Weaver helped. Yep. Showing us that she is at least somewhat okay with Shadow Weaver's involvement. At least for this. At least for this. Right. Like, you know. And then Glimmer starts to give the reveal of what happens. Glimmer starts to say, so you see. <laughs> and Mermista immediately pushes her aside. Because the reveal of how they caught the murderer is her favorite part. I mean, it is the best part. It is, Even though there ha- still were no murders. Right. No murders, <laughs> but still the best part. Yeah. No, of course this is Mermista's favorite part. And so... <laughs> Now we get our final black and white flashback of the big reveal. Mm-hmm. So we go back to the line in, in order to catch a rat, you need to spring a trap. So we set one of our own and then we have a little like classic murder mystery move. And then, of course, Perfuma is trying to remind people that there's no murder. But you know what? Never mind. Who, who cares? Yeah. Let's just go with it this time. So we have our trap set. So Glimmer n- says that with a new backup communicator device would be irresistible to whoever destroyed the original. So they had to make the spy feel safe enough to make a move. And so they created a diversion. And mm-hmm. so uh, <laughs> Glimmer is a little shady and says, Adora managed to be a really good actress for once. And yep. Adora was like, it was really hard to do. Don't ask me to do that again. And that was, of course, Adora and Glimmer fighting. Right, right. And then that voiceover happens as we're watching in the flashback, mm-hmm. the end of the fake fight. Right. Flutterina has left the room and they stop fake fighting. And Adora, we see her look, just looking hugely relieved. Mm-hmm. And we see Glimmer smile at her and put a hand on her shoulder. Yeah. And so we see, like, we actually see it. Yes. That the, fa- that the fight yeah, was fake. Yeah, we see that the fight was fake. And then we get to the, the final revelation. 
So that brings us back to you. Who are you? Who are you really? Flu- the unmasking, if the you The unmasking, Flutterina. Let's see who's under this mask. Yep. <gasps> and so, of course, Double Trouble, not going to miss a chance for more dramatics, um, makes a big show of transforming into each of them mm-hmm. before finally changing back into themselves yep. with the grand announcement, call me Double Trouble. And Adora points out the obvious. You're a shapeshifter. And nothing gets past this. Good one. job, Adora. And um, do they have context that there are shapeshifters on on Etheria? We don't have any evidence of any kind. Right. So for or against. But they don't act like they don't act the way I think one of us would act if a human being showed up and was a shapeshifter. Right. They're not like they're not what? freaked out. Right. They're not like holy shit. Right. Right. They're just they're like, like oh, you're they're shape-shifter. like oh shit. There was a shapeshifter. Based on their reaction, yeah. I would assume that it's not unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. They don't seem that freaked right. out. They do get a little freaked out when Double Trouble licks their own eyeball in a very lizard-like way. Right. But we do see other lizard people, so. Yeah, I... Not not exactly like Double Trouble. Like, right. Rahelio is a different kind of reptilian person. Right, yeah. But, you know. Um, it's a slightly less human attribute. Yes, so, you know, we have, you know, Bo is like, oh, it wasn't my goggles glitching. We have a little bit of exposition. You yes, were pretending... Double Trouble confirms yeah. all the people that they were impersonating. And then kind of, you know, twists the knife a little bit. That was a masterful yep. per- performance. I really bought the two of you were furious with each other. If you would indulge me, were you inspired by any real emotions? Yeah. Uh, or, or experiences. experiences. And yes, yes, yes. Mm. Yes. And then Glimmer and Adora kind of look at each other uncomfortably. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't get into it. No. Um, Glimmer shuts it down and says it's over. Uh-huh. Now tell us what the Horde is planning. Uh-huh. And we hear Double Trouble saying, oh, it's just beginning. Yes. The Horde has been planning a massive attack for some time now. Yep. Yep. And then we see a flashback of what actually happened. Um, and Double Trouble explaining that they had to keep them busy Sowing seeds of doubt, yada, yada, Mm -hmm. until the plan was underway. And then we see horde ships approaching Selenius. Uh As Double Trouble says, if the horde controls the seas, they control Etheria. As we see this final shot of Hordak powering up his laser arm to blast the sea gate. Yep. And And then we go back to the present where Mermista, of course, is looking horrified. And Glimmer says, well, that will never happen. We won't let it. Now we know that it's a plan. We can stop it. Right. And Double Trouble laughs and says it's already done. Jeez. Holy shit. I know. And Glimmer freaks out, refuses to believe it. She grabs Bo, Adora, and Mermista and poofs them all to Selenius or right outside Selenius mm-hmm. where they arrive just outside the Seagate and they have a front row seat, the horde flags flying over a burning Selenius and a destroyed Seagate. Yeah. And we just, it's rough. We take in all this wreckage, all the half sunk ships, kids toys floating abandoned in the water. Very ugly. Yeah. It's, and Mermista's just, she collapses. She collapses because this is her kingdom. She was supposed to be protecting, and instead, she was yeah, yeah. she was indulging her murder mystery fantasy, right? 
I mean, like this yeah. is her guilt. Like I'm not. Yeah. yeah, of course, of course, of course. Like, and it's hard to believe that all of that happened in such a short time, like just since the communicator was smashed, because that the communicator was only smashed right at the very last minute. Right, right. But you know, we have to let yeah. that go. It all happened in cartoon. It all time. happened in cartoon time. Um, you know, for all we know, all of that interrogation and all of the everything, you know, whatever. But the communicator was working during that time, yeah, is what I'm yeah. saying. And no one no one sent a message oh. to say help, Selenius is under Who attack. Who knows? But you know, we have to let that go. Our our beliefs they is suspended. Yes. And so they are taking all this in, and Adora turns to Glimmer and says, We can fix this, right? Yeah. And I think it's really important to note that Adora still looks to Glimmer for leadership. Uh-huh. Yes. Because all this season they've been fighting basically over like who's really in charge. Yes. But it's clear that Adora still respects Glimmer's position as the queen. Yeah, exactly. And the commander. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like Adora's not trying to be the ultimate commander. But also like the, there's desperation, you know, there's the desperation of somebody that like thinks that they can fix everything here too. Like we have to be able yes. to fix yes. this. Right, right, right. But there's a difference between like being desperate to fix things versus like thinking you're in charge. Yeah. I don't think Glimmer really sees that difference. No, no. And and you know this is um, and Glimmer Glimmer has a tearful moment here where she makes an impassioned speech mm-hmm. that they won't let this happen again. They will take back Selenius no matter what, and all of Etheria no matter the cost. And as she's having this voiceover, the scene shifts to a shot of Hordak and Katra looking happily over their conquest. And Glimmer's voiceover continues, no matter what the Horde throws at us next. Yep, and this is our big moment where we know that Glimmer is, this is Glimmer's, you know, this is Glimmer's change. Now Glimmer will absolutely do whatever it takes. She lost a member of the kingdom. Yes, and her ending line no matter what the horde throws at us next is the perfect transition to check in with what's going on with that horde prime guy up in space. In space? What? What's the horde going to throw at us next? Space. They're going to throw space at us. Yeah. So we see <laughs> we see space. We see this huge fleet of ships and one big old mothership. Yep. Wow. That's what what do you think's happening? What do you think's going to happen? That seems intense. Evil. Evil. I think evil. I think evil. Like a general, a general basic kind of evil. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a pretty solid um, face evil. Face evil. Yeah. 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 With one, one really, really eternally evil white dude yeah. in a big, in a big fluorescent kind of throne. Yeah. Big scary space evil. He's so evil that you can't even take in his whole face at once. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you know you just you just get to see the lower half of his face. I feel like bisected diagonally by shadow in a very sinister mm, way that usually does indicate big big evil yes yeah. and then at the very last second he breaks into this very small sinister grin Ooh, that also usually indicates evil yes that's yes. yeah using all of the clues there yes so that's and then that's the end of the episode and that is the end of that episode man another one of our classic shira episodes that is light 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 heavy yeah, and then right at the end, it kicks it you kicks you so deep in the gut yeah. that you barf out your intestines. Yeah, you're like, this is my comfort show. Isn't this funny? Oh, my God. I yeah. need to lie down. 
And then when you're watching it in real time, you're like, thank God the whole season drops at once. So I don't have to be left hanging on this clip. Uh huh. I can just binge it. I can just binge it. Yay, binging. Thanks, binging. Ah. Uh. Yeah. Because the next episode is also super fucking fun. It is. I'm really excited about the next episode. The next episode is real humdinger. We're going to have the best time ever. We are. There's musical numbers. There's musical in the numbers. Next episode. There's rock remixes. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Jenny. Hey, Meth. What did we learn today? We learned that in times of confusion, chaos, uncertainty, it's really important to have good communication with your friends and your community. Mm. And when you're mad at each other, it's okay to have big feelings. Um, But you really got to sit back and try to communicate and not just have gut reactions if you want to get anywhere. Jenny, I love how you're all of your how um how emotionally intelligent your lessons are informed yeah your lessons are so emotionally informed thank you i'm like i'm like i learned today that agatha christie was the greatest (laughs) novelist of all time and you're like i'm like i learned that friendship is magic i learned a lot about agatha christie today obviously but i don't think that that stuff that i learned about agatha christie is going to stay with me in the long term the same way the friendship lessons will stay with me Absolutely. And this is why you are the Pisces and I am the Virgo. Thank you. And we complement each other very well. <laughs> we complement each other very well. I am able to carry out all of these lessons perfectly. Learning no. things in your head is not the same as being able to do them perfectly. We're always constantly learning the same lessons over and over. And we improve them as we learn them, you know, on different levels throughout our lives. Absolutely. And that is why I ask every time what we have all learned today. It's a good, it's a good question. I, uh, you know, it's always important. Absolutely. Well, folks, if you liked what you heard and you want to help us with the next Who Done It, you can like and follow us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also follow us on Twitter, as I refuse to call it X, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at HeyAdoraCast, or you can email us your list of suspects at HeyAdoraCast at gmail.com. Nice. I heard, I got some clues that we had a Patreon. And Jenny, I think that we have the best Discord server on the planet. Um, the clues and, are substantiated, Meth. And I've heard that you can only join our Discord server if you are a member of our Patreon. That is correct. Um, I've also heard that you get exclusive playlists and live watches and video hangouts and other awesome perks like special episodes if All you are true. a member of our Patreon. All true. Um, it's a great place to hang out on the internet with a bunch of awesome happy happy gays and uh i've also heard that you can find a link to our patreon as well as a link to this week's spotify playlist mer mysteries in our show notes or at heyadora.gay you hear correctly my friend heyadora.gay is the place to be it's the dot gayest place to be on the internet you know it and remember queer joy is radical and queer love saves the universe